guest with us. My name is Al. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're glad you're here. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. We are in 2 Timothy chapter 4, finishing, or we're getting close to the finish line. This is our second to last Sunday in 2 Timothy. So next week we'll finish uh, 2 Timothy. The following week we will have a, a standalone sermon to kind of prepare us for the, the Christmas season. And then we'll have a Christmas series, five weeks, King of Kings, looking at Jesus from his birth to, to his return, that he is the King of Kings. And so uh, before we get there, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4. For, it's a unique passage today. It's an ending of a letter. And, you, and, and when Paul ends his letters, he just starts firing off things, uh, uh, sometimes just ideas. Today he's like, oh yeah, by the way, grab my coat. Uh, I'm also need, uh, I want to see you. These other guys, they left me. I don't, I'm frustrated with them. They hurt me, but I forgive them. Like that's just kind of how it, how it reads real quick. And so I'm going to spend some time uh, uh, here today uh, trying to make some points. Hopefully that will leave us encouraged, equipped, and uh, leave us out here, or send us out here uh, to do the ministry Christ has called us to. And so uh, this is at the end of Paul's life. He's at the end of his life. He's fallen fought the good fight. As we, we saw last week, he said uh, he's fought the good fight. He has finished the race. He is about to be uh, executed and murdered uh, for being a Christian. He is in prison living out his last days. And so he's been writing to his, uh, his son in the faith, Timothy, who is a pastor of a church in a growing area, a, a big city called Ephesus. And so he tells him this after he said, I've, I, I've come to the end. I fought the good fight. Here he says, do your best to come to me soon. Verse 9. For Demas, in love with this world, this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Uh, he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. When you, ha- or when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Torres. Also the books... Uh, and above all, the parchments. That's, this is how we start. We're going to look at two big things, the Christian friendships and Christian mission. I think they're, they're tied together. We're going to see it here, right here. And so Paul is the aged apostle. Think about old, old man, uh, old and tired uh, from long uh, bouts of ministry. He has fought well. He's seeing the finish line. Uh, he, is the, he is now, though, the, the forgotten apostle. He is the, the most famous, most popular apostle throughout the, the scripture. He's the most famous figure in the New Testament. Uh, he wrote 13 letters uh, of the Bible. Um, that's a lot. That's more than anyone else. Uh, he, has, he has great fame, uh, uh, even to this day, great fame. Um, but here in this moment, he is forgotten. He is abandoned. He's writing a letter to a guy who doesn't know when he's going to get this letter, and he's, he's telling him to come see him. He doesn't know if he'll get there. He is uh, at the at his, he's crossing the finish line, but uh, but many of the men and women who have served Jesus alongside him are not there with him. Uh, it, it's, it's very similar to the, the moment where Jesus is hung on the cross, and, and only one of his twelve disciples is there. Only one is there. He, he, Jesus has spent three years investing in twelve men uh, who he's going to pass the baton on to start the church, which he indeed does. But he comes to the biggest moment of his life. Uh, Joseph, Jesus' father, is not there. At, at Jesus' crucifixion, his mother and his, one of his disciples, John, are there at his crucifixion. Uh, the Apostle Paul is, has Luke with him, he says here. And he, he's writing to a spiritual son. And Timothy may be feeling uh, alone himself. 
We know that his father was not a, a Christian, at least in, in, the, in the time in which Paul ceased to write. He, he's grown up as, as a young boy with, with, with his grandparents or his grandmother and, and, and his mother, their faith, their faith tradition. He, they know, love, and serve Jesus. He's been walking uh, the, the path of a young man, a young preacher. He has found the apostle Paul, his spiritual father. Now his spiritual father is not with him. He's in prison. Uh, Timothy is facing a bunch of persecution, a bunch of false teachers, a bunch of stuff that's going on in the church. And he probably feels alone as well. So he's getting a letter from a man who is, is writing to him in a particular season, at a particular moment, moment in time, who is also likely experiencing very similar things. And they're, they're worlds apart. One's in prison, one's in Ephesus, uh, one's in Rome, one's in, uh, across the pond, so, so to speak, away from, away from him. They're communicating via letters. There's no Instagram. There's no text messages. There's no emails. This is taking some time. And so it's amazing to me that this great apostle, this man, the apostle Paul, is at the finish line and he's alone. And so I want you to think about this. I want you to see your life as you know, love, and follow Jesus. Just because there's not a big following behind you all the time does not mean that you are off course. Oftentimes, you will see throughout the scriptures that the the men and women who God uses the most are from time to times alone and and lonely. And so this is what A.W. Tozer calls the the, the loneliness of a saint. He says it this way, loneliness seems to be one price that the saint must pay for his saintliness. That doesn't mean if you grew up in the Catholic Church, he's not, that's not, we're not, you know, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying you become a saint uh, later on in life. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we've been now called adopted children of God's and saints. We are, we are children born again. And so what, what Tozer is saying, this is the cost that loneliness is often the cost that Christians must pay to follow Jesus. And so as we look at these, the Christian friendships and Jesus' mission, I want to first start with understanding loneliness. Understanding loneliness, because Paul longs to, for Timothy to come visit him in prison. He mentions, hey, this guy Demas has deserted me. He said, you know, there's three guys, four guys have sent out on mission. There are ministry assignments. Uh, Luke is, is with me, but I'm waiting for you, Timothy. Uh, I, I, you feel the sense of, uh, of loneliness and urgency Paul has in this letter at the end. And so one of the reasons why... Um, Christians, oftentimes the path of a Christ follower seems to, the, the price that must be paid to follow Jesus is loneliness. One of the reasons why is that Christians must walk according to Christ's word, will, and ways, which means that they are set apart from the contemporary world they live in. And as the, the, the world around you grows more hostile to Jesus and his church, the more lonely that road gets. It's always true that Jesus is, that the kingdom culture is, is different than the contemporary culture or the non-Christian culture at large. But, but if, if, one, if one would endeavor to follow Jesus, as the Apostle Paul said, you, you might get persecuted if you want to live a godly life. Actually, he said you will be persecuted. So there's this loneliness of a saint, loneliness of a Christian, that, that is just implied by simply walking the path that Christ has walked because it, 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 the path we walk according to God's word, God's will, God's way, according to the Bible, is, is in fact a different path 
than the contemporary world and often requires that uh, a sense of loneliness because there's people who are with you and then they, they may abandon you, they may leave you. So I want you to know that if you, if you, are knowing, if you know Jesus, love Jesus, and you're trying to follow him and his word, will and ways, and, and you're dependent on, on him and you're, and you're following him and, 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 some, and then your friends, your family, or you find yourself just people just not no longer, your circle becoming smaller, your friend group becoming smaller, and you just feel that, I want you to know if you're tethered to God's word and you're trying to live your life in light of God's word, I want you to know that God might be preparing you for a path that's set before you that you must first walk through a season of loneliness for a future youthfulness. Not youthfulness like young and usefulness. Sorry. This is one of the things, and you can, you can look it up and read a little bit of what Tozer says. I think it's a saint must walk alone or, or something like that. But, but that's the title of, of this, uh, of, a, of a chapter of, uh, that he wrote on, on this subject. But he walks through everyone from, from uh, Enoch to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He walks through Moses, walked through all these men in the Bible. When God wants to use them, oftentimes he, he leads them in a path that they must understand uh, that Jesus is all they have. So this is the second reason why, uh, or the second thing we must understand about loneliness is loneliness is designed to, to make us dependent on the Lord Jesus. So we see Paul in verse 17, we'll get to in a moment, he says, the Lord stood by me through all of this loneliness, all this abandonment, abandonment. Jesus stood near him. So oftentimes the Christian must go through a season of loneliness to understand that our, that our strength comes not from our, our peer group. It doesn't come from the amount of people around us. It doesn't come from our following. It comes from our Savior and Lord Jesus. The Lord stood beside him. So loneliness is often de- is designed to make us dependent on Christ. Third, loneliness we should see not as, a, as, as something obscure or uh, something to avoid necessarily, but an invitation to run to Jesus. If you feel lonely, you feel isolated, you feel like the Apostle Paul might feel in the, the, the prison, see what he does is he says, the Lord stood by me. He sees these moments of loneliness as an invitation to run to Jesus. Oftentimes, when we, when we feel lonely, what do we do? We want to run not to Jesus, not to his word, not to, his, not to community. We want to run to things that we find ourselves that to be fulfilling or satisfying, to numb the loneliness, to, to, to manufacture moments that we can feel a little bit better. Maybe it's through food, through television, through entertainment, through, through uh, random relationships, through different things we run to in order to uh, make the loneliness seem to not exist called America. That's what we do in our country. That's, the, that's what we do all the time. That's the default. Loneliness for the Christian is an invitation to run to him, to be comforted by him, to be strengthened by him. To Jesus often went alone on purpose. He got lonely. He went uh, to, to be alone to the Father to pray. If you won't go, hear me this, if you will not go to the Father and pray, if you won't go willfully into a place of loneliness to get alone with Jesus in his word, often, frequently, he will make you feel so lonely so that that is the only thing you can do to survive. If that's you right now and you're rebelling from Jesus 
And you're not spending time in his word. You don't have a a relationship where where he is forming you through his word. And you are communicating with him through prayer. And you're like, man, I just keep feeling lonely. Run back to Jesus or the loneliness won't let. Some people, this loneliness sets for so long that they end up leaving Jesus completely. Like Demas here, in love with this present world. They get so, they feel like so alone and isolated instead of running to Jesus and seeing their loneliness as an invitation to him to come be comforted, to be strengthened. Just like the Apostle Paul, he has two options here. He's at the end of his life. He's loved Jesus. He's followed Jesus. He's been tethered to his word, his, the, the word of God. He's actually written the word of God. He, 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 is, he, is, he is on the mission and all of his friends leave him. All of them. The Christians, the church, the people, they forsake him. And he's alone in a prison and he needs a jacket because he's so cold. Imagine being there, thinking, I'm, I'm shivering to death, I'm alone, I'm isolated. I, I, is this real? Is this Christianity in which I believed in? If it was supposed to be real, why, why, aren't everyone, why isn't everyone coming here to encourage me? Hold this whole thing about the brotherhood and you know, strengthening the saints. And I went to all these cities and strengthened the brothers and sisters in these churches. And now I'm in prison, alone and isolated, and no one's coming to me. God, are you real? Do you love me? Have I followed you? How many of you have said those things not in a prison but in the warm comfort of your own home. You you just feel lonely. You just feel isolated. Paul is not just feeling this. He is literally isolated alone. Guess what he doesn't do? Punt on Jesus. Forsake the mission. Forsake God's word. He knows, we've, we've seen in previous passages, he knows in whom he has believed. How do you know that? Well, how can you experience that? Well, every moment when he was shipwrecked at sea, abandoned, persecuted, experiencing a lot of loneliness, he saw all those invitations also as an invitation to run to Jesus as well, to process his pain with Jesus, to process his, his hardships with Jesus, to be strengthened by the Lord Jesus. It was always, it was always completely running back to Jesus. He never separated from him. He stayed tethered to him. Therefore, he's at the end of his life. He's not not concerned if he finished the mission. He's not concerned if he has abandoned the faith. He's not concerned if like maybe he missed something or maybe he misheard God or, or maybe God's word isn't true or maybe because some circumstances are so hard that maybe this isn't the will of God. He's not doing any of that. He's saying, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I still have it. But Timothy, if you can hurry up, can you get to me soon? He knows in in whom he's believed. So he's now going to transition into talking about friendship. But I need you to understand, friendships cannot replace the enjoyment of Jesus Christ. If you are looking for Christian friendships to fulfill what only Jesus can provide, you will continually be searching and every friend will fail you because no friend is like our best friend, King Jesus. Period. So if you feel that way, you're like, man, I put some hope in some Christian friends, and man, they turned out to, to hurt me and harm me. Uh, man, I'm giving up on this Jesus because these, these Christians were not like, you know, Christ. Well, congratulations, you're like the Apostle Paul. They all left him, and one of them sold him out and gave him, uh, put him in prison, and now he's about to be executed and murdered. Your friend didn't do that. You're okay. Smile, stand up, find a new one. It's okay. 
it's okay. That's the path. If you feel lonely, know that Jesus has suffered in your place also. The Apostle Paul is writing to encourage you just like he's writing to encourage Timothy. And so, now he's going to talk about friendships. He wants Timothy to come to him soon. Not because he needs Timothy more than he needs Jesus. He sees friendships as a good gift from a good God to have and to enjoy. This is how we should view friendships. We should view friendships as a good gift from a good guy, God to have and to enjoy as he provides and as he gives them to us. And so Timothy is that, that son in the faith, a friend. And he says, hey, I want you to come to me. And so we need this. this now I want to talk about friendships, understanding friendships. Some Christian friendships happen because uh, there are, there's a mission. And also some Christian friendships end because, or, or end, or you, you, you cease to be close and near to those friends because they get sent. They get sent off on mission. So this is, this is sometimes Christian friends get sent out on Jesus' mission. This is what we see here with Cretans, uh, Titus, and Tychicus. They've been sent out on ministry assignments. This is, they've been sent out. Uh, Demas has deserted him. The other guys have not abandoned him, but they've just been sent out on mission. So Paul is not telling all these other guys, hey, abandon your mission to come back home to comfort me because I'm in prison. He's saying, no, y'all stay, stay at your post. There, there, there is a mission. There is a battle. we got to keep going. Y'all stay there. And that's where they're at. They're out of their assignments. He's not writing to Tychicus to come back. He sent Tychicus to Ephesus. See? In verse 12, he, he sent him to Ephesus. Guess where Timothy is? In Ephesus. It's likely that this man may be his replacement. Hey, you, you get there, Tychicus. Send Timothy. We, we don't, the mission's got to go on. Ephesus needs pastors, but I, I want Timothy to come to me. He's, 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 see, this, he's in a tough season. And so in a tough season, he doesn't just keep people around him just for his own comfort. He's still sending people out on mission. I want you to see this. Paul, he, he's, he's experiencing great sorrow, great trouble, great loneliness. He's in a tough season, but he still cares more about Jesus' mission than anything else. He's sending out missionaries, even close friends. And so he, though it's a tough season, and though he's sending them out, I want you to know sometimes... In the church, the key leaders get sent out. We've had key leaders, deacons, be sent out from our church. Whether they've moved, whether they've helped start other ministries, they, they just, there comes a time sometimes when you send. And those can be hard. It can be hard. It can make more work. Sometimes you send someone out and they were, they were a high-capacity leader and you need four or five people to replace the one thing they were doing. Happens often, especially with great leaders. Happened when the Apostle Paul and Barnabas got sent out. They sent out their best. It's part of the the mission. Sometimes Christian friends get sent out for Jesus' mission, and they go to another city, they go to another state, they go to another country to serve Jesus on his mission. Also, sometimes Christian friends desert you. That's what's happening here. So he has some friends out on mission, and then one man, Demas, who's deserted him. Demas is like Paul, uh, is to Paul like Judas was to Jesus. He's a sellout and he's a betrayer. That's what, he, that's what happens. And so sometimes friends will desert you, Christian friends. They'll let you down. Uh, sometimes it's, it, it's on purpose. Usually it's for selfish reasons. Oftentimes just imagine you're on a team because we are on a team. You're at war. You got, a, you got an assignment. You're doing something. And someone's like, you know what? I'm out. It's, it's, now the lo- double the load gets on your shoulder. If you ever played a team sport, you know, how, you know how hard it is when someone goes down, when someone gets hurt, or someone can't play. 
It's even worse when someone gives up. Someone abandons you on the battlefield. This is Demas. He says that he was in love with the present world. He, he's fled from battle. Some, some commentators and some scholars will say that, that he was, he's, he's sold. Uh, or sorry, that was, that was Alexander the coppersmith. That's later. Uh, there's another guy who sells Paul out. Demas is it's so, he's either tired of ministry. He's either tired of the church. He's, he's just looking for, for greener grass on the other side. For whatever reason, he says he's in love with this present world, so he's fleeing the battle. Maybe he got a new worldview. Maybe he read one of the New York Times bestsellers. Maybe he you know, got on you know, some reels on Instagram and got some theology changed. Maybe he's, you know, he's, he's for sure forsaking God's word. That's we know for sure. But he's got a new worldview. Maybe he's got a new king as well. The world has become his king. And so he's been more concerned about maybe his kingdom than Jesus' kingdom. It's, it's interesting. This man, Paul, is in prison and still concerned about Jesus' kingdom as his chief priority. And this guy, Demas, is not even in prison. And he's just like, man, Paul's in prison. I got all of his assignments to do. I got so much to do. The church is putting more burdens on me. I'm exhausted. I'm out. I'm out. Um, guess where he goes to another city where Paul planted churches. It's even better. I love it. Oftentimes, sometimes people will be really frustrated with me, and they'll go to the, another church, and then I'll show up and preach at that church. They're like, oh, my gosh, how do you know that guy? Like, listen, Jesus loves you, and he wanted you to see this, not me. I'm not going after you. This is just a thing. But he's going to show up in Thessalonica. Paul, the letter's going to arrive to Thessalonica, and it's going to be like his name's going to be all over. He's like, what is going on? God loves you too much to, to let you flee from him. I need you to know this. And so Demas, in love with this present world, has flee, flown, fled. Maybe today he would, he would fly in a, a plane. But he loves his kingdom more than Jesus' kingdom. He's been led astray. And sometimes this happens. This happens. And it hurts. It hurts. And so this loneliness, if you don't understand loneliness, I'm talking about friendships right now. If you don't understand loneliness, you can't understand friendships because friendships will happen where they, they break, they dissolve, that someone hurts you, and someone flees. And so he's fleeing. And, and so if, if Paul doesn't understand that loneliness is to drive him back to Jesus, then he right now is hopeless because he's, he's been abandoned. Some of you, that's your story. You, you, you have in an upbringing, in, in your childhood, man, there were people who just kept leaving you. First it was your father, then it was a coach, then it was someone else in your life. It just feels like everyone's leaving you, abandoning you. Just feel that way. The Apostle Paul, we don't know how he's feeling, but imagine him feeling that way. I mean, he has with many friends that have abandoned him over and over and over. If he doesn't see this loneliness and this feeling of, of frustration and abandonment as an invitation to run to Jesus, to get healed up, to process, to, 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 to figure out how to think right, to emotionally be set straight. If he doesn't have Jesus to run to, then he's just alone, period. I need us to see this. If we don't understand what to do with Christian when we're lonely, we won't know what to do when trial comes, especially relational trial. Third thing on friendship is some Christians' friends have yet to arrive and some have yet to return. For some of you, your best friend, you haven't met him yet. Other than Jesus, other than your spouse, you haven't met their, your best friend yet. And maybe they're on their way. Or maybe a friend that you did have that did abandon 
is coming back. This is what happens here with these two men, Timothy and Mark. He says, get Mark, bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. We already know that Timothy is like a son to the Apostle Paul in the faith, a, 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 a spiritual son. So he obviously wants him to arrive. Hey, come back home. Come see me. Come visit me in prison. But Mark, is, or, or John Mark is his name, uh, this is a restored friendship. See, Mark and the Apostle Paul had a falling out in Acts 15. Mark goes on to write one of the, one of the books of the Bible named Mark, uh, one of the Gospels. But in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas split over this guy, Mark. The reason is, is Paul doesn't think this guy has the courage and backbone to stand firm in the midst of trial. So he says, I don't want to take him with me on this journey. Barnabas takes him with him. And now at this point, Paul's like, he's, bring him, bring him back. He's proven me wrong. There's obviously been a re- restoration in this once a broken friendship. So some of your friends have yet to arrive, like Timothy, they haven't shown up to, to, the, to the battlefield yet. And then others are relationships that God wants to restore because the gospel, Jesus and the, the gospel does the ministry of reconciliation, of relationships. So some of you may have relationships, friendships, family relationships, dynamics that you're feeling or experiencing brokenness. And you may go through long seasons of brokenness and separation. But by the power of God and the mercy of Jesus Christ, there is, through the power of the gospel, the ability for for fractured friendships and relationships to be restored. And you see this here. In a simple line, get me, get John Mark and bring him with you. For he is useful for me in ministry. Man, I need my brother. I need him with me. I, I, I love him. I want him by my side. Go get him. And so Timothy, his son, he wants with him. John Mark, his, his friend, who they had a falling out, now the relationship has been restored, he wants him to join him as well. So oftentimes, I need us to see that friend, Christian friendships are forged through this paradigm that you're seeing here, through, this, through, through, through the mission, through the pain, through the suffering of Jesus' mission. Oftentimes, that's how friendships for Christians are formed. It's true for these guys. It's true for these guys. They, they've, they've been through a lot. Paul, Timothy, John Mark, Paul, their relationship fractured. Now it's being restored. And I want you to see what's at the center of it. It's the mission. These friendships are forged on mission. If you've ever been on a team, you know that to be true. That the friendships on a team, especially if you go through trial or go through wins and go through losses, they get forged together. Whether it's in a sports team or, or uh, you're literally off at war or you're on some sort of team where they're at work where there's an obstacle that must be overcome and at the end of it, y'all are better friends. Even at the gym where you guys, you know, you and your friends are going through a hard workout and at the end of a hard workout, you all finished, doesn't matter who won, who lost, you're like, man, high five. We did it. We did it. That's how God designed us. God designed us for, to, to forge friendships through the, the fire of life. But this is very foreign in our world today. It's not foreign in the scriptures and Jesus' church, but it is foreign in the America we know. In our world today, when you, when you experience something hard, you split. Whether that's a relationship, a marriage, a, 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 uh, on a sports team, it just gets hard, we quit. 
I know most of you, and I know this because I pastor this church and I get it, most of you aren't sports people. And I say sports stuff a lot. Bear with me one more time. There is a man, which you probably will not know, and you probably don't care to look it up, but his name's Tom Izzo. He is the, uh, a basketball coach. There's one in the room. Uh, He's an NCAA, which is a college basketball coach, uh, Michigan State University. He was taught, I think it was back in April, he, they, were, they were talking to him about uh, the, his, 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 he's been coaching for a long time, and early on in his career, he was talking about the, the, how there's some guys who would show up on the team, and they were, uh, they, they, they butted heads with him. Right out of high school, they, they butted heads with him, and there was not a great relationship with some of his players. But over the course of time, through four years of, of working on that relationship, fighting a mission together on a team, seeking to win championships and games, by the end of the four years by the time those guys graduate, graduated he just he saw them as sons and they saw him as a father and like when they would graduate and leave it would it would bring tears and there was just joy uh there was there's this joy that they had in this these relationships and but they didn't start off that way when the guys got there the young 18 year old cocky guy who didn't want to listen to authority didn't like the the system they're running didn't like the offense didn't like any of these things he he but they stuck through it they went through the fire, and then on the other side, there was great forged friendships. He was talking. He said this. He says, nowadays, players are not like that. Oftentimes, when they get, they've experienced hardship, pain, they split. He said this. For a plant to grow, it takes rain and sunshine. That means, uh, by that, it, this means that you will have, if you have all sunshine, plants will not grow. If you have all rain, a plant cannot grow. You've got to fight through some adversity. You've got to have the tough times. You've got to have the rainy days. If you're going to have growth. Same is true. This is for the the Christian, for relationship. God oftentimes uses the analogy of planting, cultivating, watering, harvesting through the scriptures. I need us to see that if if, if every time trial comes, if every time hardship comes, you're like a plant that gets replanted. You'll just stay a very immature, a very shallow, a very small plant for the rest of your life period. The best plants, the ones that grow the strongest, the ones that have the most fruit, are the ones that stay rooted through the good days, through the bad days, through the rainy seasons, through the droughts. They stick it out. This is what we see here. This, these friendships that Paul has has been forged. See, John Luke, or sorry, Luke is with him. John Mark, he wants to bring with him. So Luke is there. He, he's, he's set with him through the trial. John Mark is not afraid to, to enter the fire with him, so he's saying, hey, send him, bring him back to me. Timothy, come to me. All three of these friendships that Paul has are ministry friendships that were forged through the trial of mission. All right, let's keep going. When it comes to friendships, when it comes to friendships, when it comes to friendships, I'm gonna, I, I, may, I may go over because I'm about to say some stuff that maybe may, may not be helpful. We're just going to go there. Uh, Holy Spirit, I, I pray it's you. So our world today no longer builds friendships based on common interest, uh, camaraderie, but it builds their relationships based on ideology. I need us to see this. This matters in the, in the context of understanding Christian fr- friendships and Jesus' mission. Here's why. Because our world now, no, it doesn't matter if you, uh, you, you have the same interest. As soon as people see that you, who are non-Christians, see that you disagree and you, you worship a God who disagrees with them, you are no longer welcomed at the table. That's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. We no longer build relationships based off of shared interest but ideology. 
2020 was an example of it. And we're living in it. Like you, if you, like literally, people can post something. Like Kyrie Irving this week or, or last, whatever, recently says one thing, doesn't mean what he thinks they say. And, and all of a sudden, Nike's getting rid of him. Uh, the NBA is, is fining him and suspending him. This is the ridiculous world we live in. If you don't agree with the mob, you don't agree with the world, then you cannot do business in this world that we live in. Period. That's where we're headed. That's where we're at. The world does not build friendships based on interest, shared interest, or shared ideas only ideology. Therefore, if you are a Christian and don't have Christian friends forged to the mission that Jesus called you on, you are looking at a future that will be empty and lonely. Period. You will have nothing. No one. Period. We, we talk about investment. We talk about the economy. I want you to think about your relational economy. Look in the future. Who's going to be standing with you one day when they put you on trial? Do you hold, I, I don't plan to get there. Why? Because you plan to keep your mouth shut and, you know, make it to the end? Those don't make it to the end. Jesus doesn't say if they don't hurt you and you just stay silent. He says those who endure to the end will be saved. And therefore you need Christian relationships to encourage you, to forge you, to lift you up, to help you to endure to the end. If you don't have them, you will be bankrupt relationally as time goes on in the future. Period. Sticking together through hard times, helping people know God's word and learn God's word and, 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 and live in light of it in the middle of hardship and trial is necessary. Period. And so the world we live in today, it, it used to be that you could be friends with someone and, and, you know, you're a Christian, they're not, and you're sharing relationship with them. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you tell them one day about Jesus and they're like, oh, man, didn't know you were a Christian. Thanks for sharing that message with me. It sounds, oh, I don't really worship that God, but, you know, let me hear about it. No, the day's gone. There may be a couple of them out there. The vast majority of people, if you wait to tell them who you are and whose you are, that you're Jesus, is you're a Christian, if you wait six months to tell them that, they think you're a liar and you've manipulated them, you've cheated them. And now all of a sudden you're duping them into to sharing your faith? I've spent my, since I was 18, my entire adult life around mostly non-Christians in a very progressive world in the English department at a university uh, here in, in San Antonio, where every man in the, in the, in the, in the English department was, was supposed to be, uh, you know, misogynistic, and there was, we hated men, we hated uh, religion, and so, you know, you didn't get a voice, you didn't get to talk. That was 18 years old, that's what I'm, I'm hearing, and I'm just like, okay, cool. But what about this man, Jesus? And I, and I shared my faith openly, publicly, often, and frequently through my, my time as an English major. There's times in which they would bring up Jonathan Edwards uh, and talk about how awful he was, and, and how uh, we, should, we can read his stuff, but how, he, how cruel of a person he was, and his theology was, was crazy. And I would love it. I said, this is an opportunity and a privilege to preach, and I did. And guess what I made? Friendship. Guess with who? Non-Christians. Why? Because I didn't bait and switch them. I told them who I was, who I worshipped. I called them to repentance. And they're like, ah, you kind of act like we thought Christians would act like. But now we live in a world where Christians try to, to, to dumb things down in a, in a way to not offend anybody. That 
when they find out you're a Christian, they're just like, man, you're either, what, if you believe what I believe, or if you believe different than me, our lives don't look any different. So who cares? Who cares? Your God is like another one of these gods, and we're all the same. None of them really do anything. If that's the Christianity you're living, you're living it wrong. That was my side note. Here we go. Beware of those who oppose the gospel and seek to harm Christians. Verse 4, 14 and 15. Alexander the coppersmith Smith, did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And beware of him yourself, for he has strongly opposed our message. So beware of those who oppose the gospel and seek to harm Christians. This is real and it happens. Period. This happens. So Paul, he, he, he's, he's alone. He's isolated. He, he wishes he had community, but he, he can't. But what, what he does, he, he then says that there's this man, Alexander Coppersmith, he has done me great harm, and I need to warn you about him. I need to warn you about him. This is exactly what he did. Uh, or sorry, we don't know exactly what he did, but we know he, he gave great harm to, excuse me, to the Apostle Paul, and he opposes the gospel. He's opposed the gospel. There's this, in, this intense opposition. It's likely that, that some, some commentators say that Alexander the Coppersmith was an informant who turned Paul in for a second arrest. It was like a guy who got on the inside of the church, got inside to, to Paul's uh, life and was, was known, who loved him, who cared for him, who, who was just a fake and a phony. And then later, like Judas, sells him out, trades him in, and Paul goes back to prison and is now going to be executed and murdered for his faith because of this betrayer, Alexander the Coppersmith. And so we're not exactly sure if that's the case, but whatever it is, it did Paul great harm. And, I, and, and so him going back to prison might be pretty great harm. And so from time to time, s- stuff happens with me. I'll like show up at a coffee shop and someone will say, hey, literally I've had this happen multiple times. Hey, pastor, or hey, Al, uh, uh, I just want you to know, I just want you to know I got your back. I've had so many guys tell me this. Hey, I just want you to know I, I got your back. I said, why do, you, why do I need my back to be had. Like, what's going on out there? It's like, well, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so, you know, I know, you know, and I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, well, it's, it's, don't worry about it. I got your back. From time to time, sometimes it's pastors, sometimes it's Christians, just, just different people from time to time will come up to me and say, hey, pastor, just so you know, I know what they're saying. I got your back. I don't know what they're saying, but they got my back. Guess what? Who I don't trust? That guy. I don't. If you come up to me and you don't tell me, you know, what's going on, and like, I got your back, I might think that if I turn it, you put a knife in it. Like, that's just how it sounds. That's how I feel. It's, it's just how it is. And so sometimes in life and in ministry, there will be people who come in, and we've seen this happen. And so some of these situations, I do understand that the people come in, and they're not here for good reasons. They're here to, to maybe harm uh, the, the gospel, to harm other people, or to, or to deceive. And, and you just got to part ways with them. But Paul, what does he do here? He warns them about him. He says, beware of this guy. Beware of him. Beware of him. And there's been people that, there, or a person that, that was, was really uh, uh, malicious in, in some, some weird ways. And so he left here. And I warned other pastors about him. And guess what? He shows up there, shows up to the next one, steals stuff from this one. And I'm like, guys, this is a warning. This is a warning. And there's, there's been time to time that other pastors will let me know, hey, if this guy, we, we kicked him out of, of our church. If he shows up at yours, just so you know, beware of him. This is, not, this is not 
because we hate people, we're trying to harm people, but it's because we want to protect people. Paul is trying to protect the church in, in Ephesus with Timothy as their pastor. He says, beware of this man, Alexander the coppersmith. He has a job. He's a coppersmith. Don't know his last name, but he has a trade. If he comes into your city looking to trade and make some, some, some copper uh, for you, do some work for you, just know, beware of him. He's not saying to kick him out. He's not saying to oppose him. He's just saying, be aware. It's a pastor's job to be aware of who's coming in to the, to the sheepfold. And so Christian community and churches are not exempt from this type of betrayal. They're not exempt from, from the enemy's agents being sent into the camp. It is the job of the pastors to, to see them, to identify them. And if, you, if it's a wolf, you, you must get rid of him or her. Whoever's the, but, but they must be identified, then warned about, especially if they've been sent out to go to other churches. They're, they're on the lookout. I had a past, literally, a pastor friend sat down the other day uh, for breakfast, and he said, hey, man, I asked him, how's the church going? And he laughed. He goes, man, he, all those people you told me about, uh, they, they left with half the church and half the budget. I don't know why he laughed. I was real sad. It wasn't funny. But he was like, man, you warned me. You warned me about them. And I, we were just, we just needed more people. We were small. It added, infused our numbers. These guys were zealous. They had zeal. And now they, they, they've left us. And they've now taken people. And, and the stuff that they were believing that you also warned me about, I wasn't able to sniff it out. I wasn't able to, to, to control. And we weren't able to work through. So you got to identify the guys like, like Alexander the coppersmith, we got to and warn, warn the Christians, warn the brothers, and so this is this is the situation they're in. Now I want you to see, there are real people who oppose the gospel and seek to harm Christians. They are actually out there. Beware. But know this: God is in the God is in the business of saving those type of people. The guy who penned this letter, the Apostle Paul, guess what he used to do? His previous job. It's not on his LinkedIn. Christian killer. That's what he was. That's what he did. He was a state-sponsored terrorist. Sponsored by the Roman government, working for the Jews, and he went and persecuted the church of Jesus. He opposed Christians. He sought to harm Christians. He was a guy that they sound the trumpet, be aware of Saul of Tarsus. Literally, that's what the, 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 the church knew about him. Therefore, when he got saved, they, they checked him out. They're like, I'm not sure this dude's legit. Is this a wolf? Is this a dude coming into the church hiding? Is he going to try to kill us when we're not looking? Like, I'm sure the first prayer meeting when the, the Apostle Paul was there, they had their eyes open. Like, no one bowed their head, closed their eyes when Paul prayed. They, they kept their eyes open because they didn't know if that was an opportunity for, you know, you know the, their heads to get chopped off. Like, they were, they were concerned and fearful of the Apostle Paul even when he became a Christian and God saved him and Jesus put a spirit on him and gave him a mission and a call. Paul didn't go out to plant churches till the church around him affirmed that. And he was sent out. They had to vet him. But so I'm not saying that beware of, of false teachers. Beware of those who seek to harm Christians. Beware of them as a means to scare you or a means to keep you from evangelizing. What I'm saying is we don't cuddle with the wolves. We keep them outside the church. Paul doesn't get invited in. After he's been killing Christians, he's not like, oh, well, we're the tolerant, diverse, forgiving church. And, you know, 
you've been slaughtering Christians, but we think you might have changed, but we want to evangelize you. Come to our, you know, house dinner. No, you're outside the camp. We don't want to have anything to do with you. We will preach the gospel. We'll evangelize to you. But no dinners. You might kill us. That's wisdom. He gets saved by Jesus. He starts to change him. It becomes a different story. Paul is then later welcomed into the church. Churches need to have discernment. They don't let the wolf come in for the sake of evangelism. You kick the wolf out and evangelize him out in the street. That's what you do. You don't let him come in and eat the sheep, harm the children, hurt the women. You don't do any of that. You oppose him publicly, warn everyone, and by the grace of God, he gets saved. Welcome into the, him into the family after a process, and you can, you can ensure that he is a safe person. That's what they did with Paul. So when he's writing, beware of this guy, Alexander the coppersmith. He understands what it's like to be a guy who would seek to sell out Christians and harm them. He's now experiencing the pain. Some of you will later in your life, it'll take later, it'll take time, and you'll experience the pain of maybe your past sin. Maybe that's what the Apostle Paul feels here. We don't know. I'm not trying to read into it. But I, I know there's times where you, there's times later, years later, you're like, man, it now hits me. It hits me. I feel the effects of my sin that was 10, 15, 20 years prior. It, we, I've seen the effects, but it hasn't emotionally hit me. Paul's at the point where he's now in prison, likely because a guy sold him out to harm him, who called himself a believer. Paul knows what it's like to harm Christians, but he didn't know what it was like to sell out his own guys. He's experiencing that pain. The good news is, we warn, we warn about the wolves. We warn about those who oppose the church, who seek to harm Christians. But the good news is that Jesus still saves. Jesus still saves. So we keep preaching, and that's what he does. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that, here's why, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles might hear it. He's like, I'm going to endure. He cannot wait to share more gospel, preach more sermons. He's, he, he, he's, he's in prison. He's feeling the loss. He's feeling opposition. He's feeling forsaken. But he's going to stand and preach the gospel one more time. Additionally, he said, the Lord, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We need the strength of the Lord. This is what we need. Friendships are great. Christian relationships are great. But if you don't have the strength of the Lord, nothing can replace that. You need the strength that comes from God. The strength and power that comes from his spirit. The only, the, the God, of the, God the Holy Spirit is the only one that can help you endure to the end. Period. So what Paul is saying is at his first defense, when he, when he was first being charged, the first time he, had, he got a chance to defend himself, everyone deserted him. And so what, what the strength of the Lord did, it gave him the strength to endure he had to endure opposition. He's had to endure loneliness. He's had to endure trial. He's had to endure imprisonment. He's had to endure uh, being beaten. He's endured a lot. The strength of the Lord has caused the Apostle Paul to endure to the end so he can say that he has finished the race, he has kept the faith. Additionally, the strength of the Lord has given him now the power to forgive. What does he do? May it not be charged against them. 
They all deserted me. I'm alone. Right? How many of you, that's your story. Like People are alone. They, they've abandoned you. They've left you. You're just, friends have hurt you. People have left you. And, and you know, the Christians, they were well-meaning, but they didn't really serve you well. And, you know, they've left you and they've hurt you and they've harmed you. And you're just like, may it, may it not be held against them. How many of you are like, no, may it be held against them here and in the court of law and in Jesus' court eternally and I won't forgive you because you hurt me. This is why Christians have so, so little power in the world today is because we don't understand forgiveness. And you know how I know we don't understand forgiveness? We don't give it. To the degree that you give forgiveness is to the degree that you understand your forgiveness. Jesus says it this way, to those who've been forgiven much, love much. Paul understands the magnitude of his forgiveness. He was a Christian killer, and that does, he's not justifying himself that way. He's not justifying the actions of others. He understands the mercy and grace of Jesus. There's more mercy and grace in Jesus than sin in him, and he's, he's relishing in the greatness of the gospel, and he's like, man, forgive those dudes. Forgive them. He's actually echoing the same thing Jesus says on the cross, where he says, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Forgive them. He has the strength to forgive. Who has harmed you? Who has hurt you? Who, who, has, who has done evil to you? Who has abandoned you? You don't have to necessarily reconcile. But you have to forgive. Reconciliation takes two parties. So both parties have to come, be willing to come to the table. You, Christian, must be the one to forgive regardless of if they want to reconcile or not. But you must forgive. You must forgive. By God's grace, reconciliation can happen like Paul and John Mark. But here, Paul has the strength to forgive because he knows the God he worships. He knows the mercy that Jesus has given him. And so he says, hey, may it not be charged against them. I forgive them. Third, he has the the strength to, to proclaim the gospel in the middle of opposition. You see this, he's like, he's on trial this is awesome. Some of you are like this, and, I, and, it's, and it's awesome. The, like, you're looking for every opportunity to share the gospel. They're like, hey, just say something about God. I'm going to jump on that one. Like, oh, oh, you believe in a, oh, higher power. Okay, let's talk about the one who is the higher power. Some of you, that's you. That's your, you're like Paul. You're like, hey, any opportunity I have, uh, that when someone sneezes and like, God bless you, you're like, yes, let me tell you about the God who blesses. Some of you are like that, and I love it. That's the Apostle Paul here. He's in prison about to be killed for being a Christian he says hey give me one more chance oh you're gonna let me speak you're gonna let me defend myself I don't care about defending myself because I know the message that I believe and so I'm gonna tell you the message again I'm gonna tell you it again he's eager to preach the gospel but I need you to see oftentimes in Paul's letters he's praying that he would have the strength to boldly proclaim the gospel as it ought to be Here is an example of the saints, the church, the Christians who've been praying for Paul. It being answered. He's on trial. He's got to preach. And he needs strength to preach the gospel. See, you need strength to not just proclaim the gospel on a good day, on an easy day. But you also need, you need how much more strength you need to proclaim the gospel in the middle of opposition. When no one's with you. When the, the message you're about to preach lost you all your friends. The Lord strengthened him to proclaim the gospel. The Lord strengthened him also to rescue him, it says, from the lion's mouth. 
Now, it's not likely that he was being thrown to a physical lion like uh, Daniel, being thrown into the lion's den. It's likely that this is referring to some uh, Roman leader or, or Satan. Maybe it's Nero. Uh, some have, scholars have said that maybe it's Emperor uh, Tiberius who was in this encrypted letter. I think it, uh, it, was, a, it was one of the Jewish scholars that said he was referred to uh, cryptically as uh, when he died, the, the quote, lion is dead. Uh, it could have been him. It could have been uh, whoever his prosecutor was or it could be Satan himself who Paul or the scriptures describe uh, as being a Satan as a crouching lion looking to devour, devour Christians. We don't know who this lion is, and, and, uh, but we do know that what he's referring to is there's someone that is as vicious like a lion looking to destroy him, and at least at this point, he was rescued. Whether it's Nero, whether it's Tiberius, or maybe whether it's a, a scheme of Satan, he was rescued. He was rescued from the lion's mouth. He was rescued unto proclaiming the gospel. And then Jesus is also not just his strength to, to endure, to forgive, to proclaim the gospel, to rescue him, but also to deliver him from sin and death. He says, the Lord rescued me from every evil deed. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. See, Jesus is his deliverer, not just from, 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 from trial, not just from the, the lion's mouth here, but from the biggest enemy, sin and death. And so I want you to see this. If you're a Christian, your biggest problem, the biggest enemy is not a person. It's not people. It's not problems. It's not the economy. It's sin. It's sin. It's sin in your own heart that deceives you, that leads you away from the Lord Jesus. It, 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 it has caused you to build your life on, on, and, and, and erect a kingdom that cannot stand on judgment day. Jesus has come to deliver you from your biggest enemy, sin and death. He, he in, in, in pursuing you and in love for you, he goes to the cross for you to deliver you from, from the wages of sin, which is death, from the grip of and snare of Satan, which are lies and deception. Jesus has delivered you if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, believing in Jesus delivers you from your sin and from your coming death and judgment. There's deliverance available to all who would believe. And if that's true, if you're a Christian, you believe that. You believe Jesus has, has stood your place for your sins and delivered you from sin and death. If you believe that, then I need you to understand he is able to deliver you from every trial and every circumstance that you are going through. Period. If he can deal with your sin problem, he can deal with your financial problem, he can deal with your marriage problem, he can deal with your family problems, he can deal with your relationship problems, he can deal with any problem you have. That's why the lion, God delivered me. In every evil deed, he is able to deliver me and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. That's true for you if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, it can be true for you today if you believe upon Jesus. And so Paul has been strengthened. He's been strengthened in, in, to be delivered from every evil and to be strengthened to be taken home to the Lord Jesus, to, into the heavenly kingdom. And how does he respond? He responds, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He responds in worship. It's how we all should respond. To the fact, the reality that, that you have been saved from your sin. 
Jesus' body was pierced and bled out for you, for the forgiveness of sins, for a new life, so that when you're under trial, or you're in prison, or, or, or there's a threat of death, or you're lonely, or you're at your heartache, or you're, you've been betrayed, wherever you find yourself, you have an opportunity and a privilege to call upon the name of Jesus in worship. He is able to deliver you from your sin. He's able to deliver you from your shame. He's able to deliver you from your past. He's able to deliver you from your present. He's able to deliver you from your future. He's able to deliver you from anything and everything. Put your hope Put your trust, give Jesus your worship. To him belong glory forever and ever. Amen. That is how we're going to respond. We're going to respond today. We're going to remember that no matter what you're going through right now, that Jesus is better. He is with you. He will strengthen you. He will help you. Even if no one shows up, nothing changes. He is with you. He's given you a community of people to lean on and, and to, to enjoy the gift of Christian friendship as you endure the battle and mission. And even if those friends forsake you, Jesus is enough to keep you and help you endure to the end. We will respond in worshiping Jesus. First, we're going to remember his death, his sacrificial death, his sin-atoning death through the partaking of communion. And then we're going to sing. And when we get to singing, I want you to sing like you believe this line. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us the strength to endure the trials, the circumstances we're going through now. Give us the strength to forgive those who have sinned against us. Give us the strength to forgive ourselves. Give us the strength to understand your mercy, your grace, and your forgiveness. Give us the strength to proclaim the gospel in the good days and in the bad days, in season and out of season, even under opposition. Give us the strength to endure to the end. Give us the strength to deliver us from, from our sin. Give us the strength to deliver us from the lies that we're believing. Give us the strength to deliver us from every evil deed and bring us safely into your heavenly kingdom. We believe that, Jesus. We proclaim that, Jesus. You alone are worthy, and so we worship you, Jesus. Amen.